Welcome to Take Note. This podcast aims to help women take the next few steps in their careers, educating you all on a variety of different jobs, industries, and everything in between. I'm your host, Chelsea Cunningham, and join me as I talk to these ambitious women who stood once where you were. So take part in the conversation and take note. Today I talk to an incredibly inspiring and down-to-earth female, Kate O'Connor. I first met Kate five years ago interning for the FS Group in Brisbane. Kate, along with her business partners, Elise and Tom, co-founded an extremely successful Australian cafe located in the heart of Silver Lake in Los Angeles, as well as creating Future Fantastic, a creative agency in Australia. This businesswoman gets candid about life in LA, the challenges of opening a cafe overseas, whilst running a creative agency from the other side of the world, and everything in between. You won't believe how she got here. Take note. I can't believe it's been two years since you packed up your bags, changed postcodes, added y'all to your vocabulary, and learnt to tip for anything and everything. Welcome, Kate. I know, two years. Time flies but also drags at the same time. I'm very happy to be here, Chelsea. I'm really excited about this project that you've got going on and I'm very honoured to be a part of it, so thank you for having me. So it's been an incredibly challenging journey, but you've come out the other goddamn side. Mm-hmm. You've had your bike stolen. I did. Your partner's broken his hand. Yeah. You've just worked countless hours mm. cleaning the store, serving coffee. Mm. <laughs> Where does the list <laughs> What stop? a highlights reel. Yes. Um, I was thinking about it on the way over here, actually, and I was thinking what has been the biggest thing that's kind of shaped our experiences here. And for me, we just kind of jumped in feet first and we thought it through but not in too much depth. So I think if I had have like looked back at the low lights reel, been able to look at that before starting this journey, there is no way. I don't think I would have been like, cool, yeah, I'm going to do this thing. But I think just being pretty optimistic and coming in and being like, look, what's the worst that could happen? And then if that happened, being like, okay, what's the worst thing that could happen? <laughs> Let's keep going. No, 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 no. It could, it could absolutely, absolutely get worse. I think think I'm pretty fortunate to have a pretty sunny outlook on life and I think if if you kind of know where you're headed then the little blows don't seem quite as bad you know I did catch a guy stealing my bike and I found out I discovered that I'm more of a fight than a flight person it's good to know <laughs> didn't you chase him down I did I was and... yelling at him I told him I was going to call the police I was riding with one hand and trying to take photos with him with the other hand because anyway yeah the lighting's really good <laughs> yeah like keep it, keep it there. <laughs> Mugshot. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a low. Um, I haven't had a really – that just felt like an invasion of my privacy, so that was that was a bit weird. But I think if I had have known, like, oh, my goodness, we're going to be doing all these dishes and we're going to be in the store and then working on our other business and, like, not having a lot of free time and all these things, I think I would have entered with a little more trepidation. But fortunately you don't know, so you just kind of work your way through it and don't stop. I think that's the thing just like keep moving forward I mean that's a great attitude to have before we dig into Rue and other projects tell me a bit about your childhood and where you're from yeah so I'm from Brisbane Australia also shout out <laughs> represent I had a pretty chill childhood I have a really small family I've got a lot of cousins and stuff but I'm just really close with my mum and dad and brother so it's really just the four of us that 
kind of catch up regularly. And we all get along really well. Both of my parents are incredibly hardworking and intelligent. And, you know, I think when you get older, you're supposed to kind of realise that your parents are more human. But I think the opposite has happened for me in that the more I realise that they've done with their lives and the kind of the more impressive they become to me. And yeah, they're going higher on that pedestal. I know, I know. And like I still, as like a 30-year-old woman, if I have a problem or if I have a question or whatever, I'll still call them and be like, hey, what do you guys think about this? Because I think they're three really incredible people who I, I can fault, but, you know, for nothing more than being human. So I'm very lucky to have three such you know kind of positive and intelligent and hard-working people in my life I think that makes a big difference when people when you have come from a really supportive background and you know they when we said we're moving to America they were like cool when are we coming to visit there was never any question of when or why or any of this it was more just like we think you're gonna do it can't wait to see what you make so yeah I think it definitely translates into your personality and your approach to creating a business in a different country oh thank you um but no, childhood was like, I don't have any like weird traumas or anything, unfortunately. <laughs> to, like, <laughs> I can't disclose here, but maybe with my therapist or after a few I margaritas. Was, I was mauled by a koala at the age of five and that's really <laughs> made me, no, I can't say any of those things. I, I will say that I do feel very fortunate to have grown up in Australia where, you know, there's space and it's clean and I think... I've grown up so much in the past two years just being here and, you know, seeing things for the first time and interacting with people differently. And it was nice as a kid, I think, to just have that kind of, like, peacefulness and... Grounding. Yeah, Yeah. totally. And taking it back to the beginning of it all where you have no business, Mm -hmm. what direction did you decide Um, after school? What kind of guided and made an impression on you? Yeah. I mean, I think as a teenager... You don't necessarily know what you want to do, but you know what you're not good at. So, like, I was never, like, a gal that was super into sciences or maths necessarily. For me, it was more of a process of elimination. Like, what do I enjoy? Yeah, what it's am a I long list for me as well. Totally, <laughs> totally. And you're like, okay, well, I'm not going to become an engineer because all the bridges would collapse. So, like, let's get that off the table. But I was just like, well, I like writing and I, I really like researching. And I've always got, like, 1,500 tabs open at once because my brain is going from one place to another, trying to piece things together. I'm and... glad you're that person. Yes. Like, it makes me understand you a lot yeah, more. Yeah, and the thing is I don't... Don't ever like close it. I just like minimize it. And Google Chrome exits, <laughs> and it's just so that's like, the way of getting out. Exactly. Like, I'm like, well, that was a good run. Yeah. <laughs> a personal best yeah. of anything. Yeah. So it was more just like, well, I like writing and these things. It was it was a bit shitty because when I was in high school, I went to an all girls school, and it kind of seemed like the options for someone who wasn't particularly science-minded were either law or journalism, neither of which particularly spoke to me. So I guess of the two, I chose journalism. So that's what I started to study at uni. Swiftly found that I liked studying people and watching them and trying to understand them more than I actually liked talking to them. So you were always in the city and hungry just studying people. I would rather just have like a, I would rather just get to know someone and understand them. And I don't think journalism is is there at the moment and there's not a lot of opportunities for people entering the market as a journalist yeah so you're looking for a human component where you can fuse that totally totally so started off doing that and then I changed my degree a bit around so it was a bit more general to like media and communications which I enjoyed a lot more and felt more like okay this is this is a job that I could do 
And then I guess this is like a sidestep and we'll come back to this. Then we started one of our businesses and then I decided to go back to uni and study my master's, which is in creative advertising. And that's where it kind of all fell into place for me because I'm like, oh my God, there are people that think the same way I think. And they're like, okay, why does that, why does that person want this thing? Or why is that person doing this thing? And how can we speak to them in a way that's creative and interesting and engaging? I'm like, oh, I'm not like this weird loser that thinks that way. Um, And how old were you then? I was 25 because I was at uni for seven years in the end and I joked that I could have been a doctor and I love learning I would totally go back to uni I would do another master's or I would do a doctorate I'm just one of those people that really enjoys learning and there's yeah there's a few of you out there bit of a nerd like that but yeah so that was kind of my progression through education and it was good to like have that kind of stumbling block at the start where I was like you know what I'm not enjoying what I'm doing I'm not enjoying kind of learning how to grill people for information or like having to cold call people after their loved one is supposed to have died and all of this stuff so I mean it was good to just be like you know what that's not for me like next yeah yeah what do you think about pulling back from uni degrees I guess there's a negative connotation with it because it's wild that after 17 and 18 you have to make a decision oh my god you don't even know who you are and your grades are literally paving the way for you yeah I honestly think everyone should have to take a year off between high school and uni because I think we just make these super expensive and life-altering decisions based on who we were and what we were good at in this, like, really specific context mm-hmm. of high school. Yes. And, like, university and college is so different from high school that something that you were really terrible at can actually be a career that you could be good at just in a different way, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think not having a lot of life experience and just rocking up at uni as a 17-year-old can be really scary to be like, you know what, I don't like this or this particular thing isn't for me. Fortunately, my mum is a careers counsellor, so she that made it a lot easier because I was like, I'm not enjoying this. She's like, it's not just time you're wasting. She's like, it's expensive for you to be paying for this, so... I don't think uni's for everyone. I really don't. You know what? There's so many avenues now. There's mm. tape. There's YouTube. Yeah. There's all these short-term courses and life experiences where people are creating something out of nothing now. Totally. Like it was never there before. And I feel like universities are slowly becoming irrelevant. Yeah. I think giving an internship a go and trying these things that you think you might like would save us all so much time. I fortunately won... I think it was between grade 11 and 12, did an internship at a law firm and hated it. I couldn't even look at the person in the top job and be like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to do that. I was like, I don't want anything to do with this. And that was really positive because I'm like, cool, I can, you know, add strike. it to the list of because things it is you such don't want to do. Yeah, it's such a process of elimination. And mm. it's like you never really understand what a job's going to be like until you get there. And I don't think you want to be doing something for studying to do it for four years and then you discover that you hate it or you're not good Which at I it. I think is unfortunately for a lot of people. Totally. And they just have to add mm. to their hex um, student debt and go back. Which is smart that you interned for us. Yes. And Clever that was girl. the FS group. Yeah. So you first opened that with Elise, Tom. Yes. So there was four of us. Um, Tom, Elise and Sam were all really good friends. And that was another one of those situations where we're, like, young and naive and we're like, we can do cool events and other stuff and, you know, why not? That's what you do when you're 20 or 21. We're just like, okay, we'll do it then. So we started with $3,000 and we threw a launch party of what we were launching. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. what? It was a bit vague. We, I think that was one of those things where we, like, had the launch party 
all like busted our asses at part-time jobs to like get a little office space and then put our ears to the ground for stuff that we thought we could do you know we started off doing events for clients and then it kind of morphed into us being like okay an event is one part of a brand or one part of a campaign how can we kind of get in from the ground level so that what we're doing with events can fit in more seamlessly or be more meaningful so that's when we started being like okay well we're a creative agency we also do everything from naming a brand to the graphic design to the branding to the website and it became a lot more holistic even though we're such a small team it was about shaping every part of a brand so it kind of fit together and that all sounds a bit wanky doesn't it um i'm so (laughs) impressed i'm sitting here just nodding and like yes 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 Uh, i don't have a brand but you guys are where i'm putting my money from understanding in my time at FS mm. interning, you were on the creative team. We had a actually kind of a unique dynamic. Like if you step into a ad agency, you'll have like a very clear creative director and then a very clear people that do art direction and copywriting. So I was head of strategy, which basically meant that I was doing a lot of reading, a lot of research, keeping up with trends. And then Tom, who is our creative director, and I would work together to come up with kind of our big ideas and what we wanted those to look like and why and all these things and then we would basically work with whichever creatives we could find or wanted to work with to kind of bring the campaign to life sometimes we would do the work but other times we would work with an artist or a composer or whoever we felt could answer the brief and bring our ideas to life in the best way possible so we were always scaling up to have it have more people on the team for a project and then you know back down to the core team and because we were such a small team of four it meant that we could just like take on these projects and do things and get things done and there was much less fucking around than if it was in a massive agency. Was there any negatives to working in such a small environment? Yeah, I've got a fair bit of patience. And my motto was always like, if someone's bothering me, is this thing that they're doing going to bother me tomorrow? If not, eh. and is this thing doing actually affecting our business? And if the answer to either of those questions was yes, then I would try and just like nip it in the bud. But for the most part, I mean, it was more disagreeing about the best ways to do things. It was never malicious. It was never catty. It was always like, well, this is my opinion. And I mean, I think when you respect the people that you work with, it never needs to get to that point. And there never, like, there never needs to be a winner because it's like, well, you know. You all have the same goal. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, okay, well, let's try this. And then if that doesn't work, we'll try this. But Sam is our CFO and he is incredibly business-minded. At least Tom and I would often come up with the ideas and the plan and we would run them by him and he would be the one that would ask us the tricky questions like, why do you think this is going to work? Yeah. And like, because you know, it will, yes, Sam. Yes. So it's really good to have someone with that kind of brain to be like, explain to me what you're doing. Not because you need to explain to me what you're doing, but you should be able to explain it because if you can't explain it to each other, then you can't explain it to a client. I do actually think that working in that environment for so long, it was maybe five or six years. Anyway, it's actually made me better in the cafe because now I feel like I can be direct, ask for what I want because we, you know, we're managing staff. We can be like, hey, I prefer it when you don't do this or hey, would you mind doing this? I think I've got a pretty chill management style. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've witnessed you <laughs> yeah, in both environments yeah. and I can say you're not yeah. offended anyone yeah. yet. I do think with communication, though, like I would never in either role, I would never ask anyone to do anything that I haven't, A, haven't done myself or B, couldn't do myself. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure we'll get to a point in, in our careers that that's not the case, but it's still the case at the moment. 
Well, as the business grows, you will grow too. Totally. But I will have done it, you know, and I will have done all those gritty, shitty tasks in both jobs that I know what's possible. I know what can be achieved. Yes. Reasonable expectations and all that. And so what were some of the pitfalls of starting your own creative agency? Mm. I mean, I'm sure there's so many ambitious people out there who have incredible ideas, but they don't know how to execute it. Mm. Then unfortunately, like six months to a year in, mm. you know, they, they might not have the passion or the mm. financial situation that they did in the beginning. And so then things may slow up or mm. they make that decision to end. How did you keep progressing with the four of you at the FS group as a solid team? I mean, get comfortable with being broke in the beginning. There's that. Um, <laughs> Staying <yeah>. humble. <laughs> I think that one of the really big things that helped us all kind of move forward, especially with a team of four, even if it's just two of you, I think it's highly unlikely that all four of us would have become demotivated at the same time. So if I was in a slump, Elise could pick up on that and would kind of carry us all forward. Or if, you know, someone had to go away and it was just two of us, I think if you're the only one doing your thing that's when it can become really tough because you're everything everything falls on you there are very few people that are good at doing every single aspect of a business by themselves so even if you don't have business partners like getting help from the beginning and having those people that you can go to is gonna I think set you up for longer term success because no one is positive all the time no one is motivated all the time no one is successful all the time but if you have those people that can take some of the weight off and help you carry your load, then you're going to be, I think, a lot more successful for longer. Um, I think the other thing, though, as well, is just for us, it was, again, a bit of naivety. We were like, let's just do it. Like, what's what's the worst that could happen? And the worst that could happen is it didn't work out. And you had the exact same mindset for Rue. Totally, totally. And, like, I think in the beginning you're like, ah, oh, it'll be great, it'll be great, and then you get into it and, you know, things start to go wrong, but it's still like, well, we're so much further along than we were six months ago or we were just talking about this a year ago and now it's happening. So I think stopping to kind of celebrate those little wins along the way. Yeah, measuring it in the totally. right way. Because even if, like, say you say that FF didn't work out after a couple of years or whatever, we would have still learnt so much and we all would have been so much more qualified to work elsewhere or to take on other projects or do our own things. So I never kind of was panicking about that. I think the hardest thing was the first two years or so we were all working part-time and juggling other jobs. Um But we were, like, early 20s, so we didn't have families. None of us had, like, serious relationships. We didn't have the mortgages. No, no, we had not, like, no one was... living at home. Yes, exactly. No one was depending on us. Like, people that start businesses now that have families or that have serious bills to pay and all these things, I'm like, holy heck, you are, like, complete inspiration to me because there's so much more on the line. Because, you know, especially with FF, the risk was just, just fizzled out, you know? Yeah. And so talk about Rue, your little yeah. baby, and yeah. how it started. Were you like, you know what, I love coffee. Was there a gap in the market? Was it was just a change of lifestyle? Like what was the conscious moment of saying, yes, let's move over to LA and open up a cafe? I wish I had a clearer answer to that question. I wish I had like this really cute little like, oh my God, aha moment. I was but skipping down the street. Yeah, and- totally. I really <laughs> wish because like, 
it's a bit odd. So we had this creative agency. We were all living in Brisbane. By that point, Sam had started working in like financial investments and that sort of thing. So he was still involved in the business day to day, but he wasn't in the office with us. And it's Tom, Elise and I, and we had another staff member. And I think we were all just starting to get a bit fatigued with just the kind of everyday getting to the office at eight and like doing this thing. And we really loved working on our clients and our projects, but none of us had really taken a gap year. We'd, we'd traveled in our holiday time, but none of us had really lived abroad. And then we'd all spent time in the US, all really loved it. And we wanted to take the next step with FF and think about how we could make it bigger and better and have more clients and of course be making more money so I can buy that yacht that's on my vision board moving to Sydney and Melbourne which would be potentially the logical next step from Brisbane because Brisbane's obviously a smaller city it felt like such a big life change and uprooting your life so much for such a small move mm-hmm if I'm going to get my partner Steve and we're packing up our lives, we're selling everything to move an hour flight away, I I feel like I would always have one foot out the door because it's so close. Exactly. Totally. If I'm like uprooting entire life and not starting from scratch but, you know, almost in a new market, I'm like I want to do it somewhere that is unlike anywhere I've ever lived. I want to be meeting people I've never met before. I want to feel those genuine discomfort and I don't think you learn by going into a slightly bigger scenario than what you've already been in you know and I I think that's what would have been happening for us if we had just moved to a slightly bigger city so we've gone within your comfort totally and so we moved from a country that has what like 23 million people and California has 30 million people so it's just we love the US LA is one flight the weather is similar time zones work to work across both FF in Australia and in the US. So that was kind of the plan. We were, we were always planning on opening an office here and starting that up. And then Sam, the genius that he is, was like, well, you know, you're basically going in cold. It's going to take you 12 months plus to even meet people, find business. He's like, I want you to do something that has immediate revenue. So his, his idea was open a little wine bar at the front of your office or a coffee shop. And then because we don't do things by halves, we opened a whole coffee shop (laughs) cold room yeah so the problem was we were looking for like a space and we just found the most perfect space it's it's tiny but it's right on this adorable pedestrian plaza it's green it's lush it kind of feels like Australia in its own little way and the space is only 500 square feet so for us to have taken up half of that with an office just felt like such a waste Mm -hmm. So we're like, we're going all in, we're turning this whole thing into a coffee shop and then we'll find an office elsewhere or work from home or hustle or whatever. And then it kind of just took on a mind of its own and its own living, breathing beast that needs a lot more attention, I guess, than we ever thought it would. Um, None of us had any specific experience in cafes. Yeah, because you're changing careers and you're also changing countries too. Oh my gosh, yeah. So it's just completely out of your depth. Yeah, it was a it was a bucket of madness that we were dropped into. But in saying that, thankfully, we've still been doing future fantastic work. So even though like I go to Rue and I had no idea what I was doing and I was learning and fortunately we have a really amazing team of staff who are super qualified and I think we've gotten it to a point where it runs really smoothly. 
at least I would go home and work on things that were in my wheelhouse, that were in my comfort zone, that I felt confident in doing, that were playing to my strengths. So I was never coming home and being, oh, I'm not good at anything. Because we were all working from, and we still are, working from our houses, getting it done. We're looking for an office at the moment, so that's next on the list of things to do. But, yeah, we opened a cafe, and that was fucking random. And I don't regret it for a second. There's I love about- it. And you've gone from 9 to 5 office jobs to now opening Rue at 6 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different routine. We are working really hard to open another route as well because it's been going really well. We have the most amazing customers and people are so kind and have been so receptive to... It's basically an Aussie cafe, meaning that we serve Australian-style coffee and breakfast all day. All day till 2.30. But as far as I'm concerned, if you're eating breakfast after 2.30, get your shit together. (laughs) Uh, And people have been so receptive. And I think now that people are starting to kind of cotton on to what we do, it's just getting busier and busier by the day. And we're ready to be like, okay, how can we grow this? How can we do more? There's still excitement and buzz around the brand. I live on the west side and I'll bump into someone and they go, Silver, like, oh my God, yes, I love the cafes there. And they'll start listing the cafes and Rue's on on the list. I'm like, guys. (laughs) That makes me so happy. For anyone that doesn't know, has an incredible food scene. And also a lot of amazing coffee. Like, I am sick of people being like, oh, like American coffee is shit. Like, if if you go to Missouri, it's probably going to be shit. But if you go to LA, there are so many wonderful places to get coffee and good food like for people just to be out of the blue and unprompted be like oh yeah rude it's such a passion project because we used our skills from ff to open rue so like tom and i did a lot of the interiors um the design not the installation god imagine it'd be like (laughs) actually can imagine you and tom in overalls Uh your mask on and then doing a photo shoot then doing the hard work Yeah, I'm not afraid to get my hands dirty, but I wouldn't ever do structural work on a space. Because it took a while, didn't it? There was a bit of setbacks and you had to, you know, pay for rent for a certain amount of time before you even got to start working in there. Yeah, the biggest setback was a couple of things, but one of the biggest things was there was obviously an administration change kind of halfway through our visa application process. Right. So our visa just got for no reason other than a certain president deciding all visas funneled fun yeah <laughs> they all just got put on hold all all visa applications so it was just like sitting there for like we lost like four or five months just because and you were, we were holding paying, this space we had the space we were, were paying rent yeah. on it we were desperate to get over here and fit it out it's an incredible spot it is. It needed a lot of love and we had to gut it. New electricity, new plumbing. It was basically a shell. We were so keen to get over here and get started and we were just like in this limbo, just stuck at home. The fate of your future is in someone else's hands. Totally. Yes. And we were also trying to figure out when we were going to be moving. And people were like, what are you moving? And we knew we were moving because we had the space. The lease was signed. The visas were underway, but we just sold everything you owned. Like shit. <laughs> oh my God. Did I tell you that someone hit me up? I've never had anyone ever slide into my DMs, ever. I find that hard to believe. No, 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 no. I think it's also because I'm very clearly in a relationship and Steve and I have been together yes, for, the ring on your finger for a long time. That. So I, I think that there's like, it's clearly not going to happen. But then also, I don't know, I think I am I think I put off a quite a wholesome vibe. Anyway, I was selling a bunch of stuff on Gumtree, which is the Australian version of Craigslist. It's a bit less seedy, though, than Craigslist, I think. And the interface is a bit more user-friendly. But yes, anyway, similar gist. Yes. Yeah. 
I was selling all these like vintage clothes and stuff and I had like a pair of shorts. I was selling a pair of like denim shorts and this guy was like, I would like to I would like to see more pictures of you in these shorts. And I was like, nah, Tony. His name is Tony. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, he's like, I would like to come to your house Go and away, see you Tony. in the shorts. And I was like, mm. so that's the only time anyone's so ever slid like, into my DMs. <laughs> Hurry up, Gumtree's. get this. Tony can stop harassing so me. So I can, yeah. My fiance and I were always planning on moving here together. So for Steve, I just felt so awful because I was like, I don't have an answer. I don't know when we're moving. And then we were totally in limbo. I had sold a bunch of our furniture and then we got the go ahead. And like two weeks later, we were leaving. We did our visa interviews all of a sudden and we were trying to make happen for so long. It was just like, bam, it's here. It was so surreal. It was such a weird feeling. I'm sure there were people like, "Mm, they're never going to do it. And it felt like that for a while. Well, you showed them, didn't you? So how would you suggest to anyone else to handle that situation differently? or Because unfortunately that was just completely out of our control. I try not to like give myself too much grief for decisions like that because you know when you feel like you're making the right decision at the time and you can see the big picture it makes sense and I wouldn't actually change that decision right um but yeah that paying rent was just that was just a fuck I'll still haunt you for a while yeah and then I think like also in the very beginning we'd only had one staff member ever before and she was in the office with us every day and we became really close with her and then we hired staff who we still have and are amazing we treated them like family and then to have you know one of our staff members just like stopped showing up one day and we were worried we're like oh my god he's dead he's and he's like oh no I just didn't feel like coming in yeah and so that was really hard to take as well to just be like okay well we need to kind of reframe how we think about our co-workers and our employees because it is such a different environment but I will say for like the employees that we have now we have really fostered that environment of it being like a family and us really wanting the best from each other and we've got staff members that I really can see a future for with Rue so how can we help you grow how can we take you to the next step what what's next for you because if someone takes the time to invest in you and someone can see the potential in you then you want to do well for them and you want to do the best version of what you can. So I love that you're factoring in your stuff in this way because you have a big plan. Yeah. I love that you would love to take them with you. I mean, I don't think it was ever a question of doing it alone and I don't think we could. So I think when we found these people, it's like, okay, these people are amazing. How can we hold on to them? How can this really become a career for them? And we're still working on that because we're still one store. We've got some stuff that I'm like, okay, how can we make this your career and your life and bigger than being a barista or a line cook or any of these things that's incredible it's doing so well especially because it's the summer months and Mm. um, there's a lot more foot traffic but Mm -hmm. what about winter and the rainy seasons where it's a lot slower Mm. and it's similar to a u-curve so when you start your business it's got a lot of hype Mm. it's got a lot of advertising and fresh blood in it Mm. and then after maybe six to 12 months it lulls a bit how do you get those customers back in the door Mm. well fortunately for us sam bless his his soul he sends a weekly report so we are always very aware of where we are compared to this time last year compared to this time last month like we've always got the numbers in front of us so we're you know leaps and bounds ahead of where we were last year and I think for us a big part of that is just the amount of loyal and returning customers we have I swear this is probably not right but like 70% of our customers come in and if I don't know them 
by name. I know what they're ordering or I recognise them. And, of course, we get new people coming in every day, but I think us trying really hard to make an experience really positive and memorable and creating a sense of community and making everyone feel welcome, I think people want to come back and people want to support us because they can see that we're, you know, trying really hard you're genuine and you're literally yeah. creating yeah. a family. Yeah. And I think Tom, Elise and I like all really enjoy talking to people and getting to know people and hearing about their lives. And so it's never forced. And all of the staff that we've hired have that same kind of approach to customer service and being like, you know, getting to know their dog's names and all of that. You're looking after your customers. Oh dogs, my gosh, aren't you? yes. I love that. I job feel perks. like that's extending <laughs> the work hours and the loyalty, which I love. I want a dog, so I'm like any pup. I will take care of any pup. Please and thank you. Um, but yeah, so I think just having that core customer base kind of helps us weather those quieter periods because that, that fluctuation is just foot traffic and seasonal stuff. So yeah comes and goes yeah which is okay and you've recently vamped up your menu which I've noticed oh yes and have (laughs) divulged in a few times but tell me about the process of bringing that Australian experience to America because there's such a cultural shift how did you want to honor home in an international environment that's such a good question um you know what smashed Avo on toast (laughs) And fairy bread. I have to say the fairy bread with mascarpone butter is life-changing. Yeah, I think there's these flavors and these things that you see on most menus at home, like a really good homemade granola. There'll always be an avo smash. Ingredients like halloumi. There are some more literal things like fairy bread, which is an Australian childhood kind of treat. And then Milo, which is kind of like Nesquik, but way better. Um, so we have those and then we of course we have Vegemite but for us it was also about creating the environment of somewhere that does food and coffee and in Australia there is a real culture of having your local coffee shop that you go to every day and that you feel really welcome and it's considered what's called a third place which is like you've got work you've got home and then you have these third places where you really feel like you're you belong and you feel welcome so for some people that might be the gym and a lot of people in Australia identify those as coffee shops whereas less people in America do that because they're either chains or for whatever reason so that was a big part of what we were trying to achieve and just being like, okay, this is a place where people feel welcome to come every day. They know they're going to get good service, quick service, good coffee, maybe a bite to eat and just consistently deliver on that. Um, and helps that we're all Australian. You've got your twang in your voice. Yeah, my God. What's Someone... the logo on your shirts? With hearts. With hearts and hands, hands. which is oh. from the Australian National Anthem. We try not to be like, we're not trying to be Outback Steakhouse. We're not trying to, you know. <laughs> the Australian flag hanging yeah. in the window, guys. <laughs> and there's only, we've got like 10 staff and there's only only three of us are Australian. Four if you count Ainsley who comes in once a year. Um, <laughs> but someone actually had the gall to tell me the other day that I had a very Californian twang to my voice. And I was like, where are you from? Your ancestors I was would like, be. And I was like, you're wrong because all I do is hang out with Australians. So that's not right. Uh, yeah. So we're just trying to make it feel like home because that was when we were traveling for ff we're like we missed that we missed being able to get coffee and eggs on toast or granola or something in the same place this is not like a 
a broad statement because there are places that don't do this, but a lot of places either do like really good coffee and a pastry or good breakfast, but it's more like a diner. So they only do drip coffee, which is not what Australians drink. So just finding that happy medium. Yeah, I feel like you're connecting totally. both worlds together. Totally, like, yeah. And then it's called roux, so kangaroo, that means. <laughs> Although some people don't get it straight away, which you makes me You know what? I have to explain sweet. it to some people as yeah. well. Like, like kangaroo, and they're like, oh, that's yeah. so smart. Yeah, yeah. We were going to originally call it, we had Flame and Galar. Oh, my gosh. I'm such a big fan of that. Yeah. And Iced Vovo. And then we we concept tested with a bunch of Americans that were like, they asked if both of them were gay bars. <laughs> so, like, okay, that's confusing. I can see that. Yeah. Definitely. <clears throat> so if we ever open a gay bar, it would be called Flame and Galar. Well, I think that's the next venture, guys. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. We've done creative agency, cafe, now gay bars. I, I would s- do that. That would be so much fun. I have to say, in L.A., the gays rule. Yeah, true, true. They wouldn't be coming for me, though. <laughs> for my beautiful business partner, Tom. Yeah, and um, possibly Steve, your fiancé. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, get him out there. <laughs> and where would you ideally like to end up, Kate? There's no stopping you guys. You get all the yeses, visas approved. Oprah's possibly endorsing this. Just okay. throwing it out there. All right. Um, well, if Oprah's involved. Uh, <laughs> 500 stores, please. Yeah. I would like to have four or five rooms in L.A. I do feel quite settled in L.A. at the moment. So Steve has this really great life here as well. He's doing a lot of really cool stuff because he's a rugby coach. So he's really found his groove here as well. I think eventually I would like to end up living in Australia. Um I would really love to live in London. I think that would be so much fun. And I think... Yeah, because you went there a few weeks ago, didn't you? Yeah, so we went for my 30th birthday, a pre-birthday trip in June. Happy birthday. Oh, my God, thank you. 30. Woo! Can you believe it? fabulous. I feel like I'm about... I feel like I don't have my life together enough to be a 30-year-old. I think it's like... I keep deducting the years as we get older. Yeah, I think when you're like a kid, you're like, oh, my God, 30 is so old. You've got to have your life together. But anyway. That's another story. 30 is the new 20. Um, I would really love to live in London, but the the big picture for us is getting more ruse. I would really love to have one in downtown LA, West Side, obviously. I think San Diego would be really cool. So a bit of West Coast expansion. A Do you li- think... Sorry to jump in You're here. Right. Do you think these areas are receptive to the cafe concepts because Silver Lake has this mm. identity of food, arts and coffee shops. Mm. So going to other places where that's not necessarily the identity of the suburb. Yeah. That's another really good question, Charles. Tracy Grimshaw over here. <laughs> Killing it. Um, I think You had it here first. Yeah. <laughs> Nine news. I like the idea of being the first in a neighbourhood. Okay. I think that's an even more exciting proposition to me than being the fourth in a neighborhood because there are a lot of coffee shops and so you're going to pave the way yeah I would love to we've been living here for two years between the three of us done a lot of travel just within the states and going to places and be like oh my god look at all these people here lots of young people Rue would kill it here because they would really appreciate it and there's nothing here like that yet mm-hmm. so those are the markets that excite me because it's like we have such an opportunity to do something cool and be the first ones to be doing it well I definitely mm. see that happening and I love that you're always willing to have an honest conversation. Oh, sorry for everyone who has to hear my voice as well. <laughs> I think it's so smooth. P.S. Kate used to run her own radio show in university. Mm-hmm. It was for seniors, for it's like <laughs> old people. <laughs> it was a hit, clearly. Clearly. Mm-hmm. It was an internship and they gave me way too much responsibility. I had to operate the panel and everything. 
who no gave you that doing. much power in life? I think they just had no one to do it and they panicked. Step it up. Just gave it to like an 18-year-old. <laughs> a program for seniors. I was telling Chelsea earlier that I would literally just call my mum and be like, okay, pretend you're this person because I would have nothing organised because I was too busy doing uni and having a life. <laughs> Oh, my God. How I would put, like, the Beatles on and be like, all right, golden oldies, everyone get up and stretch your legs. Like, fuck. (laughs) I suppose they can't fire you from a free internship. That's the only good thing. (laughs) Kate has made an incredible impact on ages 60 to 80. In the Redcliffe area. (laughs) Shout out to my gals. Your golden gals. My golden gals. Oh, amazing. Well, thank you for chatting with us. It's been fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of Take Note. I hope you felt part of the conversation and heard something that resonates with you. If you enjoyed this episode like I did, please show it some love and rate and review. Take care.